this morning. Mark 2. You know, the fun thing is I'm going back through and I'm studying with another brother, going back over doing an inductive study through the book of Mark. Guess what? When you do that with someone else and then you start all, you start all over, which I'm getting much more every time you go through a book, you tend to get a ton. Anyway, today would be better titled to say new does not mix with old, but it's chapter two. All right, so let's set the stage before we get to our text. We've got to kind of lead into this a little bit in Mark's gospel. So grab Mark's gospel, aim for chapter one. So Jesus's ministry focused on the kingdom of God and its nearness and the good news. So back in Mark 1, 14 and 15, you get a little bit of history. You kind of figure out the time period. So later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last. He announced, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Further on, as we keep moving and you start seeing more conflict later on on the Sabbath, Jesus taught in the synagogue with authority. And that's one thing that they noted, that this was different. He healed a possessed man and commanded the evil spirit to come out. So now you understand, remember that section. But look at the crowd's response. Mark 1, 27 and 28. Amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. And it has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. Now, moving a little further, another occasion, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. After his friends lowered him down through the roof, now you remember which one this one is. But the religious leaders are incensed when Jesus stated to the man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Mark 2, 6 and 7. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. You know, my mind always backs up and goes, well, think about it. So, so while walking, Jesus meets Matthew. Remember Levi? At his tax booth and tells him, follow me and be my disciple. And Matthew then continues to invite Jesus to his home for dinner with a collection of other tax collectors and sinners. But again, he's met with resistance by the religious leaders. Mark 2, 16 and 17. But when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, they didn't ask Jesus, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, hmm, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. That's a major contrast. So a little bit of a backdrop this morning as we hit our text. The religious leaders' hatred for Jesus is just going to continue to build. The religious leaders, over time, have built a system of religious acts 
to make them and others think that they're spiritual. Kind of sounds a little bit like what Steve was talking this morning. They have developed a works righteousness system. They're stuck in a religious trap, unable to get out and see the truth and accept Jesus as their Messiah. They hear his words but reject the truth, holding to their religious system. They're hanging on to what show they can do. So our text, let's read it together. And this is out of the NLT, so it's going to be a little, little different from probably where you, what you're reading. It's Mark 2, verses 18 through 22. Once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? The new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. The wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. Do you start seeing? Now, one of the things, too, that I've always liked about this text at first read in our American culture, you're kind of going, huh? Because we're, we're we don't have this culture, so we're missing some pieces, and it kind of sounds strange. You're thinking, they ask a question, and Jesus starts talking about a wedding. And you're going, but, but, but fasting? Ah, so let's take this. So three things we're going to get this morning. The confrontation concerning fasting, then a clear answer from Jesus, and then some more supporting parables to kind of bring home the truth. So again, verse 18 presents the question. Once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, okay, at that time, some people came to Jesus and asked, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Notice this group. This is an interesting group. Where did they come from? John's disciples and Pharisees. Hmm, I don't usually see those pictured together. So we're talking literally about John the Baptist's disciples. But remember, John is in prison. He's not there. He's not present. So if there's any error, any slide that these guys are going through in any shift, John would have been able to kind of correct them and redirect them. But he's not there. And it's an issue over fasting. So fasting at that time had become a common show of piety. It was an external thing. And you notice that fasting and Jesus dealing with the issue of fasting is continual. Now notice this. This is something I don't think we always point to. The Mosaic law commanded only one fast a year. So the requirement is only one fast, and that was during the Day of Atonement. So what was the purpose of the fasting then? It's the mourning over sin. So now you're getting the terminology coming up going fasting, mourning over sin. The Pharisees had developed a system where they fasted twice a week. Ooh, they're super spiritual. Monday and Thursday, right? So, and they would, you notice one time before, Jesus had said very clearly, if you fast, do what? 
clean up, take a shower, look good, do your hair, dress nicely, whatever, go about your day so no one will know you're fasting, but your Father in Heaven will know, okay? We know here, and what they did, you could visually see that they are fasting. And by the way, it's a regimented date. So you know Monday, oh, of course he's going to be fasting, and Thursday. So it's an external. Luke 18 gives us a little bit. Luke 18, 9 through 12. Then Jesus told this story. I love this story. It's very detailed. To some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Now you've got the good setting here. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. And I'm really underscoring despised. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. Of course, he's not a sinner, right? Wrong. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. And I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Is that boasting? Is that proud? Yo, yeah. So the question that was posed to Jesus had the foundation of a man-made rule or tradition. It's not a biblical mandate. Why don't you men follow the rules and traditions of our religion, is really what's being asked. All right, why is John's disciples, why are these poor guys in here? First, you have to realize, again, John's in prison. He's not able to guide and direct and correct these men. And they probably don't even know who the Messiah really truly is. They're just followers of John. And it makes sense that they would gravitate to the pious life of the Pharisees, thinking that this is the godly way to, to live. So they're fasting that Monday and Thursday. Paul also encountered a group of John's disciples later on in his ministry. And it's interesting how these men came together. It comes to us out of Acts 19, 1 through 7. And while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Now, keep that in your mind. And Paul explains it a little further. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So again, the charge against Jesus is, why don't your men fast? The question exposes really the truth that these men have been adding to the law of God. And contrary to the good news that Jesus was teaching, they're battling against it. It's what you do instead of what's really on the inside. We tend to do that ourselves. We tend to look on the external. I've said this before, and a good friend in California, we were, he was in high school and I was on staff, and 
we were just talking about what do we really do to get down into the the meat of our life, the center core, really what's going on. Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we want to get there. And he and I were talking about it. It was like, well, it's real easy to do the externals, right? How do you know that you're really a Christian or growing or intense? Well, what's one of the easy ones? Well, I read my Bible every day. Okay. But that's not evidence. That's not deep. Okay, that can be a head thing. Well, I go to church every week. Can that be real or not real? I mean, okay. What are you going to do? you got to go down deep to find out what the core is and what's really happening. So the brother and I created this new phrase for each other and talking about a deep scrubbing. And that made a lot more sense to us because, all right, and we'd ask each other, what kind of deep scrubbing are you doing? Basically getting past the veneer, the reading the Bible, the going to church, all the externals, but what's the relationship and what's going on deep down inside your life, not the externals. So it was, it was a good reminder for the two of us. Don't play the outside, go down deep. But, you know what? There is a proper time for fasting and a time not to fast. Fasting is a time where one mourns over their sin. It is voluntary being associated with grief, sorrow over sin, and the sincere pursuit of communion with God. The heart of the issue is not the fasting, but they have refused to know who Jesus is and turned to the truth. If they knew who he was, then really this whole issue of fasting would have been a moot point. With that in mind, let's read Jesus' response and answer to them. This is in verses 19 and 20 of Mark 2. And again, sometimes it's a clear answer, but some of us go, you really don't understand. We went from fasting, and now we're in a wedding. This is awkward. Now, let's break it down. Jesus replied, hmm, question. Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Well, of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them, but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Okay, at first read, this seems strange, doesn't it? I thought you were going to talk about fasting, and now you're talking about a wedding. Keep going. Fasting is a time of mourning, and a wedding is a time of mourning? Yes, no? It's a celebration with joy, and it's uplifting. So what's missing in their thinking is the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, and they should be rejoicing and celebrating, but they are stuck in their man-made religion, which is impersonal, filled with rituals. They're interested in the mechanics of the religion and not in their Messiah, Redeemer, who is with them. That is Jesus' point. I am here now, and you should be rejoicing, but you don't even know me. Jesus hits them with a rhetorical question that no one fasts or mourns at a wedding celebration. The obvious answer to that is they can't fast while the groom is there. It's just an absolute. You don't. And it is unheard of that anyone would fast at that time, but there will be a time when mourning will come 
and that is when Jesus is taken away to the cross. And I think it's an interesting one. Some, some different translations use different terms, but taking away, taking away is a really good understanding, but there's a little bit more intensity behind it. It's better understood as sudden or a violent snatching. But that fasting or mourning will not last, for in three days Jesus is raised from the dead. And after the resurrection, those who believed rejoiced, and there will be a great time of rejoicing, the heavenly wedding feast with the bride, the church. I mean, talk about that excitement. I mean, it's, I <laughs> uh, can't even imagine that. But Paul provides a, a more full picture of what Christ did on the cross and how that turns to joy out of Romans 5, 6 through 11. Paul writes, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our fellowship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved for the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. That's the joy. Only for a little while did the disciples felt the pain, the hurt. But then when they saw Christ, it transformed. They were excited. I like what MacArthur summarizes this whole, whole event, this whole situation. MacArthur says, Jesus' point to his questioners was simply this. Judaism, at its most devout level, as exemplified by the scribes and Pharisees, was completely out of touch with God's plan of salvation. They were mourning when they should have been rejoicing because they had rejected Jesus the Savior and clung to their own rules and regulations of, to earn salvation. Consequently, they had nothing in common with him. They were consumed with self-righteousness. He preached divine grace. They denied they were sinners. He preached humility. They embraced external ceremony and tradition. He preached a transformed heart. They loved the applause of men. He offered the approval of God. And they had dead ritual. He offered a dynamic relationship. And they promoted a system. He provided salvation. Big difference. All right, let's go take a look at the parables now. Supporting parables. Now Jesus begins now to get a little bit more detailed and granular in what's going on. Again, still the message of salvation is not man-made. And you have to understand it's totally incompatible with what Jesus has continually been teaching. Salvation message of the kingdom of God and the good news. Judaistic legalism was the false system of works righteousness. Now, Mark twenty-one twenty-two. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth, but the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. So you get the new and the old. You're starting to understand what Jesus 
is doing is helping them to understand the old religious system of self-righteousness is incompatible. It doesn't fit. It's old. It's not old because God made it old. It's old because man made it. It's useless. And these two points are very clear and logical to understand if you take some time with them. First of all, think about the patching of clothing. And not all of us, I think, are seamstresses, right? But I think we get the concept. Take a look at what you have. It sounds fine that you're going to patch this hole. So you take a piece of cloth and you sew it in. But what's the technique in this new cloth? It's new. It's never been washed. And what is, <laughs> what's the one thing we always do sometimes when we check the label? Is this 100% cotton? I better get one more size up. What's it going to do? Shrink. Have you ever, <laughs> I think you've done that. You, you, my, my wife's done this a couple of times. She goes, oh, I shouldn't have washed and put that in the dryer. And I'm like, uh-oh. And she's pulled it up and I go, oh, not going to fit. Maybe the grandkids will have it. But <laughs> I mean, things, little kid thing, you're like, I don't want to wait a minute. But you get the idea. So you put the new piece of cloth on, it's going to fail after the wash. So another thing that that little piece of cloth is going to do, it's going to show the time in the aging of the old cloth. It's going to show how much fading has been going on. Have you ever done that sometimes? You pull up something and you go, oh, that's faded. Well, you've got a contrast. The old and the new will not work. They're incompatible with one another. A great quote that I read, Jesus was not interested in mending the religion of the Pharisees. The good news of salvation by grace through faith in him could not be combined with the work righteousness of Judaism. See how this thing sits? Jesus gives a second clear point. Now, how many of you have been working on your uh, wine lately? Probably none. It's quite a science. I mean, I've tried to learn a little bit and to understand it, and I went, there's a lot of detail in this. But this makes sense. So first of all, you have to ask, why can't you just reuse a wineskin? I mean, why throw something out that's good? Mm, slow down. Wineskins at the first were made of goat skins. Okay? And after the fermentation process, the wineskins become hard and brittle. This... Everyone knew as they listened to Jesus. During the fermentation process, the wine would produce gases, expanding the pliable new wineskin until the fermentation process was complete. And after the dispensing of the wine, the wineskin would literally be useless. Okay? And again, Jesus shows that the old legalistic system of religion destroys if it were mixed with the gospel. It's destructive. He's bringing in kind of a destructive piece. He says the new wine would burst the old wineskins and be lost in the process, both wineskin and wine. Anything added to Christ is a false religion. It is destructive. And you've seen that. Now, I grew up in a conservative church when I was younger. And, I mean, I loved my pastor, Became a Christian there and spent a lot of time with him. And he helped a little guy learn who truly who Jesus is. But I remember my parents praising our pastor 
for and making the statement, it's so nice because he helps us to understand that you can be a Catholic and have Christ too. And even at that young age, I was kind of, huh? It just, I didn't have enough to know why it didn't fit right, but it didn't. It's true still to today. The works righteousness of Catholicism does not mix with the complete redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Hmm. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good works of the things that he's planned for us long ago. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10. Someone stated, and I think this really brings home a, a good thought, someone stated that uh, you cannot mix water and poison and be safe. You ever think about that? Yeah, I'll have a little poison. Let's just put a little water in there. It's like, no. Same thing with the gospel. There is only one true gospel. Galatians 1, 6, and 9. Paul is literally talking to the Galatian believers. He says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ, and you are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. Counterfeit. But it's not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, and even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news, that the one we preach to you, I say again what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let the person be accursed. In short... Jesus plus anything is nothing. Let's pray. Our world, Father, is so saturated with people who have mixed the truth with their own thinking, their own worldly wisdom, man's righteousness. I mean, it it was blatant in what the Pharisees were doing with their repetitive, legalistic fasting. But that's not the real issue. The real issue is they weren't trusting and obeying and listening to the word and understanding that Jesus was the Messiah standing right before them. It happens still today, and we see it, we know it. Help us to be very sensitive and aware that we add nothing to the gospel. We add nothing to Christ. It's pure. And that we just reject anything that would be presented mixed to us that we would only trust and rely upon the, the word and the truth of the word and that is the standard. God help us just to quickly review in our minds these things that Jesus was getting across. Again it wasn't the issue of fasting it was the true reality that you can't live it by man's efforts it's by your grace and your love. We know that you care for us and you guide us and direct us. We ask that you would Strengthen us this week as we continually battle inside the world that is violently against you. God, give us grace and understanding to minister to those around us and for those that we do come in contact with that have got a mixed gospel. Help us to share the true gospel with them. 
Give us wisdom and strength as we go through each day. We love you and appreciate and are grateful for all that you do. In Jesus' name. Amen.